trying. I was trying, don't get me wrong. What, what, what about when this one, what about when this one man was around? Like I said, I was trying. <laughs> they had a promoter that didn't bring them to my side and wouldn't allow me to come to this side unless it was on his turn. Chris, would you have been interested? <laughs> Before we get to that. So for GCSE English, there wasn't really much I liked, to be honest. My teacher was an absolute fucking idiot. And, you know, I got kicked out with about six weeks ago before we broke up for study leave. I wasn't allowed into lessons for various reasons. One being that I probably knew more than the teacher did, which is often the case. But there were a couple of things that put a smile on my face about doing English literature. One of them was Henry IV, part one, probably my favourite Shakespeare play, and had my favourite character of modern literature, or probably of all literature in Hotspur. Take your time and Google, but yeah, I'm a big fan of Henry IV, part one. But we also did a play called The Second Coming by W.B. Yeats. I think it's from 1919, and I'm remembering this off the top of my head because it's been burned into me through yeah, weeks and weeks of revision. But it was, it was like a, almost like a summary of the world post-World War II. So 1990, I think the Spanish flu was kicking in and so forth. And the world was a crazy place, right? Post-war, you've got this pandemic going across the world. And in this poem, The Second Coming, it, it is quite apocalyptic. But there's an expression, it goes, things fall apart. The center cannot hold. And then it, it waffles on a bit, but it basically says, you know, anarchy has been loosened up upon the world. And, you know, and I kept that in my head for years. And then I next remembered it when Black Thought did a freestyle on Hot 97. It's worth listening to, like 10 minutes, this guy just raps solidly. If you're not a hip-hop fan, whatever, but just the, the amount of effort it takes to deliver at that level and intensity and precision. And he used a similar expression where he goes, things fall apart when the center's too weak to hold y'all. And I was like, hmm. And I quite like that expression. And the next time I thought of it was when Wasserman Boxing announced the deal they have with Sky. So on top of what you can expect from the traditional boxing arm of a Sowland operation. There's now a partnership with KSI and the record label, forget what the record label's called, Proper Loud, I think it's called. And now KSI is going to be a promoter for celebrities and YouTubers and those sorts of guys. So the gimmick events now have a platform and a home on Sky. Let that sink in. The thing we thought was a sideshow, the thing we thought was clowning, the thing we didn't take seriously now has a platform on British TV within boxing. The YouTuber as a boxer, the celebrity as a boxer is now real. And as angry as you can get, the people you have to blame 
other people in the sport because they were the gatekeepers. This happened on their shift. This isn't to do with me. This isn't to do with the fans. This isn't to do with anyone but the people in the sport. You see, when you have a role in the sport of boxing, I don't know, whether you're Robert Smith at the board, whether you're Eddie Lamb, a trainer, whether you're a fan, whether you're a guy like me with a microphone who just talks into it, you have a, you're a custodian of the sport, so you have a duty to make sure that you leave the sport in a better position for the people that come after you than what you found. I feel we did that to a certain extent. And then I feel we lost our way when people stopped having imagination and people stopped being brave. And they ignored what was coming, which was the internet. And the fact that you could build relationships with millions of people by simply letting them into your life. Now, I'll tell you who didn't miss a trick. Jake Paul, Logan Paul, KSI, Deji. None of these guys missed a trick. The people on Love Island, um, Idris Virgo. These guys understood the game before anybody else. And so what they were able to do was to build profiles. And their profiles had economic value that they could demonstrate through the endorsements they have and the brand partnerships they have. They don't just have fans. They have advocates. And with these guys all being fans of boxing, they realize the clout that they have, the real world clout they have, can generate money within boxing. And at that point, their boxing had a choice. And it said, we can shut the door on these guys. The board could have said, we are not going to allow this. These guys are not experienced enough to box at a level that would make them professional. And they could have relegated this to a sideshow. Lucrative sideshow, absolutely, but they'd never be real boxers. But our governing bodies lost heart. And they saw the money available and saw they could get a cut of that. Because the dross that was being served on the small hall scene wasn't generating anywhere near this kind of money. And so a few years later, here we are. The YouTube thing is real. So when Sky said we're working closely with the British Boxing Board of Control, we have to conclude now, we have to say, a big part of that discussion was, how do we have the YouTube fights? on the same card as board sanction fights. Are you going to sanction these fights? And if so, how? What protocols and protections do we have to have in place for these? I think that was the discussion and we all got sidetracked into thinking, oh, this will just be British title fights, Commonwealth title fights. No, it is as simple as we need to find a way to legitimize these YouTube fights because we're going to have them on cards involving boxers like Chris Eubank Jr., who himself understands that you have to bridge the gap between boxer and celebrity. So you now look at it and say, well, KSI is here to stay, right? And he'll fight under his own promotional banner, so he'll make money. He'll find others to do this. And now this is going to become a, a lucrative lane. And if you're a trainer, you're probably thinking, well, I'm going to get paid more for doing these gigs than I am for training the likes of Adrian Martin. In fact, even training the likes of Dan Aziz. I'm going to get more money training these YouTubers, more, more access to the public, more of a profile, I might be able to do my own boxer size class here. 
You want to be a YouTuber who can box? Come and do my class. The sad thing about boxing is people chase the money. Money over principles in boxing. Do not believe these guys when they come out and they talk about higher principles of being a warrior, being a hero, entertaining the fans. They only care about the money. And that rot. And we're, we're into the 10th year that we lost Mick Carney at Fitzroy Lodge. And this was around the time he was saying that boxing won't last another decade. The way it's going is not going to last another decade. And he said it was because the wrong people were in the sport. And he was right to an extent. But some of the people he would have said were the right people for the sport have turned out to be the wrong people for the sport. Because they can't carry the load of expectation. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to take the sport forward. Don't care how long you've been in this game. You know, boxing's not a hard thing to master. Whatever they try and tell you. You know, that's why so many people with no GCSEs do really well in the sport. Because it's not a hard thing to figure out. Yeah. Give fans a reason to pay their money and they will come and watch. That currency is competitive fights. If you can't deliver that, you're hurting the sport. You're not helping it. <laughs> but I wanted to lighten the, lighten the mood a bit by touching on maybe one of my favorite boxing moments of 2021 and maybe of the last year or so when Steve Gray threw the towel out the out the ring in the Lewis Ritson fight now I'm going to be honest with you I can't even remember who Ritson fought and I want to hand over my casual or no my hardcore badges sorry no no I'm going to hand them over to Porky when I see him next and apologize but I thought what Steve Gray did was the right thing to do for boxing not just for that fight but for boxing and here's why Scroll down your, your timeline. Boxer A, boxer B, boxer C, boxer D. We're warriors. We put our lives on the line every time we step through those ropes. We go through hell that you cannot even imagine, right? You hear that a lot. Standard boxing trope. Every six months, you will get, is it round nine or round ten of Gatti Ward 1? Where you see Gatti go down and you're like, God, he's done. And then he comes back to win. Right, these are the fights that boxing's built on. Rocky, to a certain extent, is the essence of that. We love boxing because every time we sit down to watch it, we hope for moments like that. We hope for moments where we see the great comeback. We hope to see somebody dig deep within themselves and find the resolve to either carry on or to overcome adversity. That's boxing, that's why you earn a shit ton of money that's why the public watch you that's why they buy you drinks when you're long retired because you gave them moments that they can't comprehend themselves steve gray understood that he saw ritson getting dropped by body shots he saw ritson get hurt in the first round from a body shot and so in that final round steve gray had a choice and he could have stopped the fight right there and he would have denied the Argentinian guy. I should have remembered his name, but apologies. I wasn't that interested. He should have allowed him to get the victory he deserves in the right way. No questions asked. Because in a fight, there are only two options. Maybe three. You quit. 
you get stopped or it's no longer safe for you to continue. Ritson's situation is none of those. It's not like it wasn't safe for him to continue because the guy realized that he was just hurting him to the body. The headshots are doing nothing. Let me just go to the body. And if you saw, Ritson was clear-headed. He wasn't sustaining punishment to the head. He was sustaining punishment to the body. So you almost de-risked the neurological damage. It was really about Ritson and his ego. Has he got it in him to say, I can't carry on? And that's what Steve Gray was looking for. Do you want to quit? When that towel came in, he said, no, 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 no. We're not going to give Lewis Ritson an easy way out. If you're a warrior, you're going to show your warrior credentials in this fight. And I love that. The way that Steve was, he had that presence of mind to do that. And kudos to him. I wish more people did that. I wish more people held boxers to the standard they claim to hold themselves to. Go out on your shield. Don't be on one knee feeling sorry for yourself because you can't take body shots. You're a professional boxer. You should be able to take body shots. Now, I've talked about this on numerous occasions in terms of how it happens that you can't take body shots after a while. So it's been out there. They could have fixed it. They've had enough time to fix it. And uh, Ritson's been on borrowed time for a long time. You know, he did his thing at lightweight, won the British title in record time. There were soup cans he was fighting. Let's be honest. There were soup cans. It's intriguing that at 140, he hasn't fought anyone like a Jack Cattrall. He hasn't fought anyone like an O'Hara Davis. And here he was talking about wanting to fight for a world title. It was an embarrassment. He hasn't even fought a guy like Kay Prosper. It was an embarrassment, in fact. But why? Why do you have someone who seemingly has all the tools like Lewis Ritson? But on the big occasions, he can't do it. And my theory's always been this. You need intercity sparring. You see Liverpool, you can step out of Liverpool, you can find some, some competitive sparring. Mate, you got over to Manchester, you got it there. You know, you can go up to those places like St. Helens and Wigan and Burnley. It's all there, right? There, there's tough competitive sparring wherever you go, either side of the Mersey River. It's the same in Sheffield. You can go up to Leeds and get some good sparring. You can go down to Nottingham and get some good sparring. You can go over to Manchester and get some good sparring. So when you, when you look and you see, why isn't this happening? It comes back to what I said before. Things fall apart when the center's too weak to hold. In the old days, the old timers knew. They knew how important that sparring was because they knew... It was always going to be competitive. A little bit of needle, rivalry. There was pressure. It wasn't just a run through. Week after week, month after month, you did that and you got good. And this is what made the previous generation of guys and, and the ones before and the ones before and the ones before incredibly tough people. Same in London. When Repton would get in the minibus and go over to West Ham and Spa, it's like a derby. And they do that knowing that we might see each other in the ABAs. When the Fisher went over to the Lynn or went over to Fitzroy Lodge to Spa, we're going to see you. But that doesn't matter for now. For now, this is about local bragging rights. We don't have that anymore. 
Because every trainer thinks that what happens in their gym is the secret sauce, is the magic, is the genius. And it's not. Ritson showed that it's not. Guys need to be out there in uncomfortable environments doing uncomfortable things as often as possible to be champions. That's all there is to it. I don't think Ritson did enough of that. And that's why Ritson was a guy who promised a lot as an amateur and delivered little and promised a lot as a pro and delivered nothing. You know, what his corner did in throwing that towel in was a last attempt to keep some money in Lewis Ritson and say, maybe we can put him in at British level against Nahara Davis or Jack Cattrall and make another payday. It's not Steve Gray's job to guarantee someone another payday. Steve, Steve Gray's job. Maybe I'll call him Steve Jobs. Maybe I should call him Steve Jobs. Steve Gray's job is essentially this. Protect the integrity of the sport. Protect the integrity of the contest. And he did that really well with Lewis Ritson. That fight ended when you saw that Lewis Ritson was broken. That is how every boxing fight should end as far as I'm concerned. So fair play to Steve Gray for doing that. And then I want to talk about, and I talk about him a lot because I think injustice isn't a strong enough word to describe how he's been treated by British boxing. But Isaac Dogba, once again, gets to win against the odds against, I think it's Adrian Lopez. And the reason I say it's against the odds is Isaac's fighting as a featherweight. Much in the way, and we'll talk about it later, much in the way that Tank Davis is going up to light welter, it doesn't make sense. But I think Tank's doing it based on being an extraordinary athlete. And so hoping his power carries up, hoping his skills and his speed carry up. Isaac has those. To, to, to a certain extent, he has those. But he's just so damn tough. Because physically, he's not a big guy. Isaac should have really made a career as a bantamweight. Those sort of things like the Denaire fight would have been amazing for him. I don't know if he can get down to that weight anymore as he gets older. Because just the, the price it costs to get down to that weight isn't worth it in the performance that you'll deliver. So maybe Super Bantam would be good for him. But when are we going to have Isaac Dogbo's name in lights in this country? When are we going to applaud him as being one of our own, a creation of our system? Isaac Dogbo was made in the United Kingdom, was made in London. He's gone on to win a world title against the Oz, and he's gone on to defend that against legitimate opponents. No handpicked, nothing. Now, I'm hoping now that... Now that we've got ESPN on Sky and we've got someone new in Sky, I'm hoping someone just says we can make the Dogbo Conlon fight on Sky. Love to see that fight. 122 pounds, make that fight happen. Dogbo Rigandau, make that happen. Dogbo Denaire, make that happen. He deserves those sorts of fights. So we deserve to see him you know, at an hour that works for this country. Let, let's give him at least one fight in this country where we go actually... Here's, here's the definition of a road warrior. Let's give him home advantage for once and let's see what he does. Let's just thank one of our own. Like Teofimo did, no one holds it against Teofimo Lopez that he boxed for Honduras in the Olympics. We forget that. Right? We forget that. He's a, he's a Brooklynite. Forget that Isaac boxed for, for Ghana because GB didn't believe he was up to that level and he showed that he was. Now, if you want to know how tough he is, ask Carl Frampton how tough Isaac is. Ask Shane McGuigan how tough he is. 
He deserves a big night in the United Kingdom. I'd love to see him do that. Because remember, we never got to do the same with Ola Afalabi, who was at one point our best cruiserweight. And we never got to see him fight on these shores. Well, now rephrase it. He never got to headline on these shores. <laughs> we know what happened when he fought on these shores, don't we? He, he cleaned someone's clock the F out. <laughs> but massive congrats to Isaac. I'm so proud of everything he's done and everything he continues to do. I'm working with Barry Hunter's clearly doing wonders for him. And I just hope that he gets the opportunity to show British fans that we do produce true warriors in this country. So August 21st is going to see a really interesting moment. It's going to see Errol Spence fight Manny Pacquiao. And you've got to say two of the three best welterweights on the planet will be fighting each other. Now you can poke holes with that and say, how good is Manny at 42? But you can only go on, you know, performances. And based on where he's been in this part of his career, he's one of, the t one of two of the three best welterweights out there. And one of the beautiful things about this fight is, and don't underestimate how big a fight this is, Manny Pacquiao's still a big draw, Errol Spence is on his way there, and here's an opportunity to, to keep money in the sport, right? In a way that Floyd never passed a torch because he went away undefeated. Manny has a chance to, to either pass the torch or to keep the money in himself. And I find it really fascinating, and maybe I'm conditioned to how boxing is today, that... This fight, which is, if I'm going to rank the fights that are going to happen this year, this might be the second biggest fight after Joshua versus one of Fury or Wilder. Then it's this fight because it kind of cements Errol Spencer's number one in the division. And then all Errol needs on his CV is Crawford. And then I think you put him at the top of the boxing mountain. Or whoever wins that fight sits at the top of the boxing mountain. Now... We've had a fight of this magnitude, this size, is about to sell out the T-Mobile the arena. Like, there's no question about that. And no superstar promoters at the press conference. No 50-hour interviews with one camera jockey after another. No massive noise online about it. Just old-fashioned fights getting announced in press conferences involving the people who are directly involved in the fight. How refreshing is that? And we've seen it a couple of times. We saw, definitely saw it with Yard Kovalev. It's a nice feeling when someone just says, listen, this fight's happening on this date. The thing sells itself. You don't need me herning the shit out of it. And I love that. I genuinely love that. And I'm looking at this. Wilder Fury, yeah, I'll watch it, but I've kind of been there before. Joshua Usyk, yeah. But Spence Pacquiao, I'll watch and I'll go, oh my God, this is, this, there's meaning in this fight for me. Like, because there's a before and there's an after. Right? If Spence wins, right, number one in the division, no debates, no questions, no nothing. If Pacquiao wins, do you call him the greatest of all time? Do you say that he did what others couldn't do? And I don't want to hear the doping thing because even those guys were doping too. If Pacquiao were to beat Errol Spence, we then have to start looking at him as right up there. That would be the that would be better than Duran's performance against Iron Barkley for me. Bearing in mind the weight Pacquiao's come up from. Bear that in mind. 
Bear in mind where Pacquiao started and where he is now and the fact that he's still competitive. And I tell you why it's impressive that he's still competitive. And here's something I've been looking at now. I was trying to think, how much energy did it take to be good throughout my whole sporting life? How much energy did it take to be strong? How much energy did it take to be fast? When I was 15, 16, I could get out of bed, um, I'd run a sub-1200. I don't care, trainers, whatever. I'd run a sub-1200. Could do that. Rep after rep, day in, day out. Could run a sub-1200. Could go to the gym, could do my bench workouts, no drama. If I had to make, if I had to make weight for anything, I could make weight. It was easy. And any, anyone listening to this, who did sport when they were young, knows what I mean. It was easy. By the time I was 26, I had to be disciplined. It got harder than it was when it was 16 to do the same things. To run a sub-1200, I now had to put work into it because I lost that, that spring and that elasticity. Don't know where it went, but I lost it. Maybe it was the increase in weight because I added about 15 kilos in that decade. So yeah, I could still I could still move quickly, but I had to work on mobilizing and coordinating the body to move that way. I'd probably developed too many physical bad habits, sat at desks and stuff like that. Now fast forward to where I'm at now, and I really have to work at being fast and I have to work at being agile and almost I can't stop because it's so painful trying to get back up there. Forget trying to lose weight. Let's say before I could lose kilos by running three miles twice a week. Now it's probably five miles three times a week. So the actual load it takes for me to drop weight per kilo is a lot greater. And I think that's what's going to be impressive about Pacquiao. No matter what you inject yourself with, it's into an old body that doesn't want to be young anymore. So he's had to work for months before this fight was announced to get himself in a position to be in camp. Once you're in camp, it's fine. Once you've got to that threshold where you can be in camp, then it's just about being disciplined. But it's going to that dark place that he probably had to go to, to, to get his weight in line, to get his strength up, to get the bounce and the spring and the speed. These things that your body doesn't want to keep as you get older. And this, I think a lot of people will relate to this. You can all think back to a time when you could deadlift 200 kilos or you could bench 160, because I can. But I know how hard it is to get there now. And even when I do, like I could probably pull 220 off the floor now. I just got hit with a flash or something. I have no idea what that was. But I could probably, yeah, I could probably pull 220 off the floor now. But do it once or twice. And I need a week to recover. Like in my 20s, man, I could pull 200 off the floor on Monday, pull 200 off the floor Tuesday, pull 200 off the floor Wednesday. And it didn't really have a long-term effect. And so that's essentially the difference between Pacquiao and Spence. Is you've got Spence who can still just about do it by being disciplined. And Manny who's having to dig super deep in order to be the Manny Pacquiao of old. And, you know, we can talk about whether it's all clean or not. That, you know, that's a point for another time. But 
the effort it's going to take Manny Pacquiao to get ready for Errol Spence should not be underestimated. And if he were to win or even come close to winning, it's up there as one of the great performances because and I didn't understand it when I was younger. I understand it now. It is so hard to make yourself elite at that age that just making yourself elite is a massive win. So I'm looking forward to the fight. May the best man win. But Jesus, man, let's salute Manny Pacquiao for, for going back into the trenches at a time when it's probably sensible not to. But sooner than that, PBC will deliver, and it will deliver Tank Davis versus uh, Marcel Barrios at 140 pounds. And I'm, I'm intrigued by this because whatever anyone tells you, Javante Davis is he's a super feather at best. So adding the 10 pounds at the height he is, and he's not very tall either. He's got the Isaac Dogbo problem, as I said earlier. It is, does a power hold up? Does the speed hold up? Do his skills hold up at that level? That's going to be really interesting because Lopez looks like a big, tough guy. He looks like he can do some damage himself. And he looks a lot more natural at the weight. And I don't want to see Tank at 140. I'm hoping this is just the, I'm going to fight at 140 and sort of work my way down to 135 to start chasing some of these guys. I, I just want to see these guys fight each other, make their money, then move on. You know, I'm tired of wishing we could have seen fights when the opportunity is there to make them. Because I'd legit like to see Teofimo versus Tank. Let's just make that fight happen. I think that's the, that's the fight that needs to happen. That's the top of Mount Olympus for me. Devin Haney, eh, Ryan Garcia, let those two duke it out amongst themselves, work their way up there. But those two, Tank and Lopez, you can't question their records right now. And like I said, you're seeing all of these fights happening with no superstar promoters sticking their nose in, selling their books, selling their podcasts, doing this, doing that. There's no cheeky, chappy banter, apples and pears. There's none of that. It's just boxing. The thing we need to get back to, because that's what tells the fans we're not like other sports. When you start dancing around on YouTube and playing up to the to the crowd and this isn't even a crowd that's loyal to boxing it's just a crowd that will consume any kind of entertainment as long as it's silly and puerile and a lot of people in boxing have delivered that and what it's done is it's it's lowered the entry point for the sport there are other reasons why you know we've lowered the entry point the small hall guys are equally to blame i just it's one of my passionate beliefs do not let anybody turn pro that hasn't boxed as an amateur. Without question, without exception, I don't want to hear case studies and examples of people who did it. I do not care. They are the exception that proves the rule. Everyone should join the sport of boxing after at least 40 bouts. And of those 40 bouts, you need a minimum of 25 three three-minute fights. A minimum. Stop picking up ex-rugby players. Stop picking up ex-doormen. Stop picking up ex-tough man guys. Stop picking up ex-bare knuckle guys. Stop picking up guys that weren't good enough to be amateur. Stop signing guys that weren't good enough to be amateur. Sign those guys that were beating them in the gym. Sign those guys that were slapping them silly in competition. The reason the boxing product is terrible is... 
we're picking the guys that are terrible simply because they can shift tickets. We should have, we should have been pushing Chris Congo over a lot of these other guys. Forget whether he sells tickets or not now. Chris Congo should be a televised fighter. He can box. There's so many like that. Instead, you know, our small halls are clogged up with, with guys who do it for a laugh, man. They do it for the Instagram clout, yeah? And they know that they're going to be up against someone they're better than. You know? And I'm not saying this is all small hall guys. I'm saying these are the guys, the, the ones that you're hoovering up from other sports, rowers and rugby players and stuff that have no place in the professional boxing ring. I do not care. I don't want to hear anyone try and defend that. This sport should be hard to get into. So when someone says you're a professional boxer, it should mean something. It should mean that you can fight. Right now, what it means is you can sell tickets. Right now, what it means, you have a YouTube presence. Right now, what it means, you have 70,000 followers on Instagram. That's how Ammo Williams got signed. I think Ammo's a hell of a talent. But now he's been discarded because it, you realize there's a long way to go in his development. Othi Jones III, same thing. Anthony Sims Jr., same thing. All of these guys look good on paper because you saw the, you saw the video clips. You, you saw the dancing and this and that. You saw all of that. You didn't see the fight. You didn't see what they were doing against people who knew what the hell they were doing. You didn't see what they were doing against people who wanted to take their head off. We used to respect and revere boxers because we were like, if you saw that guy in the street, Jesus, you'd walk right around him. We need to get back to that from the male side and the female side. Stop putting these shelf stackers in fights. These baristas and hairdressers and female police officers. And I saw this in America. They got this, this powerlifter named Steffi Cohen. They've got her into boxing. And at no point did anyone think, if you're lifting world record weights, weren't you taking steroids? Of course you were. Shouldn't we be testing you for those steroids? And maybe it's not a good idea to have a career steroid abuser in the sport of boxing that we're trying to tell the public is clean. But actually, seeing as so many people are getting caught, like Jean Pascal, we've now stopped talking about doping in sport. No one cares about Vada anymore. Do you remember when Vada used to be out every week? Congratulations to these guys for enrolling in Vada. No more. Because Vada messed up the money in boxing. So boxing said Vada's got to go. Not doping has to go. Vada has to go. How insane is that? I want to talk about the GB squad for the Olympics in a second. But before that, I want to touch on another issue related to the amateur scene. So what happened was... When they postponed the Tokyo Olympics and guys didn't know what was going to happen, a couple of people decided to turn over. So you'd have noticed that the New Zealand 91 kilo guy said, that's heavyweight. God, I should know that. David Naika, um, I think he's had either one or two professional bouts. And then Justice Honey did the same thing. He's had a few professional bouts and he might have even fought for the Australian heavyweight title because obviously you're allowed a certain number of fights before you're ineligible for amateur competition and so it was an interesting idea like you know build up a little profile and some momentum ahead of the olympics get used to the the whole pro thing and keep yourself busy more importantly right 
but it came with a risk and it came with a risk that you might get injured. And one of the guys, Justice Honey, a super heavyweight in amateur, but in pro, he's a heavyweight. So he's now had to pull out of the Olympics because he sustained a hand injury in a fight he had last week. And the Olympics were basically where he was going to make his name, right? And you can imagine that if he had done all right, Hearn would have signed him. And then you could say, right, we're building, you know, we're building a sort of like an, an Anzac boxing franchise here because you'd have signed him you'd have signed David Naika and you'd have had them led by Joseph Parker and so you could have done shows there you could have done shows here and leveraged that audience this is what I talked to Dennis about I remember saying to Dennis you could sign some of these Australians put on a show here you'll sell it out like they'll do your call for three Australians fighting without a shadow of a doubt and so now the kid's out of the Olympics. Like, he's probably taken six figures off his, his early years, earning potential, number one. Number two, here's the thing, and it's Terry's rule number one. Boxing rewards the most durable people. If you're getting hand operations before you've even had five professional fights, you're probably not in for a long career, especially when you're a heavyweight and you're throwing bombs. Boxing doesn't reward the brittle. We've seen it so many times. And it doesn't mean that they're not good boxers. It doesn't mean they're not tough men. It just means their bodies aren't resilient for the rigors of training. Jake Ball's a prime example. Jake Ball will always look like he should have been a champion. But when you put the load on his body, his body said, thanks, but no thanks. And so I feel for Justice, honey. It's, it's really unfair. I feel for all the people who had momentum prior to COVID and lost it for one reason or another. Like I look at young Courtney Bennett and, you know, COVID affected him too. He should have been boxing in these tournaments and, you know, getting his name known, but he's had to take a back seat for a bit. And then after the Olympics, you'll see more of him. But it, it, it's a lesson, isn't it? That you can't always chase the immediate benefit at the expense of the long-term goal. And I think, well, actually, no, it's probably a double-edged sword because Maybe the pro stuff is what kept Justice Honey sharp enough to qualify for the Olympics. But then it's also meant that he's injured his hands and he can't carry on. So at what point do you stop you know, thinking about the short term and think long term? But I am gutted for him because you put all that work in and your moment in the sun's gone. But let's take a look at that GB squad. And I want to start with the women because I think we, we have a really interesting lineup in the female class. So I think it starts with Charlie Davison at 51, Karis Artingstall at 57 kilos, Caroline Dubois at 60, and Lauren Price at 75. And of all of those, I think we're looking at Caroline Dubois as being the, the golden girl, although she lost to Kelly Harrington in the final. Do not underestimate how good Kelly Harrington is. And if you've been following me through my whole podcast journey, I named her as one of my favorite female boxers. It's got to be like 2016, 2017, if you remember. And the way I described it back then, and I stand by this, I've never seen a boxer switch so well that every punch she threw was a lead punch. She didn't throw a single backhand. So she just switched, right jab, right hook, step back, left jab, left hook, left uppercut. Didn't throw any backhands, didn't have to. That's when you know someone's in real control of their skills and their ring IQ. She's a class act. And I said it at the time. 
They made her box at 64 kilograms because they were paranoid she'd beat Katie Taylor and they needed Katie Taylor to do well for all kinds of funding reasons. Kelly Harrington's a real deal. For Dubois to, to, to run her close is a good sign because normally those sorts of gaps close between the first and the second fight. And actually, depending on the draw, Caroline might not face her again. So that's what, Caroline's definitely a medal prospect for us. And she's still young. She's a baby. But that's, that's one of your shining lights in British boxing, I think. Caroline Dubois and Ellie Scottney are in that kind of category. Um, Charlie Davis, I think, went off to have a kid, came back. So we're not looking at her in terms of pro, pro stuff because 51 kilos is too small for this country. It's not, it's not one of our weights. So that's one of those where you've got to fight loads and loads of guys from Central America. You know, I'm trying to think. And then Karis Artingstall. Depends what you like. I think she, she's one of those great shape when she boxes, elegant, you know, all looks good. Has she got the pop in the punches, though, is my question. And I think as the pro scene matures from a female perspective, we're now looking for the heavier-handed fighters. I think I'd rather have had Ellie go to the Olympics at 57. Her style's better. But that's a personal opinion. That's no disrespect to Karis. I'm, I'm slightly biased because... I like combination punches. I like people who have share that aggression. But Karis has done well to qualify. I know it's been hard for her, like spiritually. You know, it's been a rough time and she's qualified. So she's, she's now an Olympian. Her dream has been achieved. So congratulations to her. And then Lauren Price is the most interesting one. She, she always struck me as being the realest of the real deals. But I always wondered, did she get the spot because Natasha Gale blew it? If those two fought 10 times, how many times would Natasha Gale win? Now, no one knows what's happened to Natasha Gale. No one knows why she was booted off GB. No one knows what the hell's happened. But Natasha Gale looked like she was going to be the one to give Clarissa a run for her money, but she never seemed to develop in GB. In steps Lauren Price, does her thing, looks good. She looks the realest of the real deals. I just don't know. If you're going to sell her. And here's why. As much as Hearn is pro-female boxing. He's not really big on. Sharing the sexuality of the boxers he promotes. And that's fine. But when you've kind of done that already via Instagram. You're asking Eddie to step into an, an arena he's not necessarily comfortable in. So is he willing to do that? I don't know if Frank is to be honest with you. So who's going to look after Lauren Price when she turns pro? I think she's pretty nailed on to do special things in the pro game. Probably not at 75, not as a middleweight. Maybe kind of in that welter division if she can make it down there. Because she's not very tall, so she could probably just burn that down. But I think that's a really strong squad. Those four there are really, really strong. And I'm expecting at least three medals out of those. I reckon we could get two goals amongst our women. And then I'm going to try and be, I'm going to try and be Superman here and, and name the, the men's team all off the top of my head if I can. This will test how much attention I've been paying. So it should go, uh, bear with me, Galalia 5, 52 kilos. Peter McGrail, 57 kilos. Luke McCormack, 63, or was it 63 and a half? Pat McCormack, 69. 
Ben Whittaker 81, Siobhan Clark 91, and Fraser Clark 91 plus. The best way to describe the men's squad is experience. A lot of those guys have been in the GB system for five years minimum. Right, ben Whittaker won the ABA's what, 2016? When he beat, uh, did he beat? I don't even remember who he beat. Jordan Reynolds. Yes, yeah, so he beat Jordan Reynolds in 2016. God, that's a long time ago. Yeah, and so Ben Whitaker's the shining star of that intake because he's he's young enough and he's in a sexy weight division which should be a light heavyweight. And that's where your money is. You, you imagine Hearn's got paperwork in place with Ben Whitaker, and Ben looks like the most likely to get a gold. I know people say Pat McCormack. Mm, we've started to see signs of maybe Pat's been in the system too long. Maybe he's a bit fatigued, but Ben looks hungry. And so he, he might sign with 258 management, actually, because Joby's obviously training with Joshua. So, but Ben's the, of all of the GB squad, Ben's the shining light. Like, social media profile, he's got it, looks the part, got a really good story. I think his old man, his old man used to be a bouncer in Wolverhampton in the old days. Like his, his dad used to be a pretty serious guy. And all that sort of stuff. I think his dad was a boxer till he got injured doing the doors and then couldn't box anymore. So there's a story there. Um, Siobhan Clark, of all the people, I think people want him to meddle because his story is so real. Like he boxed, then he didn't box, and he boxed again, and then he started to take it seriously. So he's like, what, 29, 30? Same as Fraser Clark, over a decade in GB, and he's had to watch Joshua step in front of him. He's had to watch Joe Joyce step in front of him, and now it's his time. And let's see what he can do. Um, the McCormack twins, if anyone's followed them from their Burtley days, they've been special for a long time. Definitely Pat, Luke, equally so, but Pat's the, the one we all look to. Peter McGrail, I think Everton Red Triangle. Um, he's super, super talented, so kudos to him. Don't ask me who Galau boxes for. I just know he's one of the Afire brothers. Maybe Small Heath or some, somewhere like that. But that's a good squad. It's an experienced squad that's been to tournaments, has been to Olympic Games. These guys should be coming back with stuff. I don't know if they will because it's not, it's not a squad sprinkled with stardust, but it's a squad definitely drowning in experience. Not drowning, but definitely bathed in experience. And so from that perspective, we wish everyone all the best. If you're saying to me, who do you look up for in the pros? Ben Whitaker, Pat McCormack would be my bets. My worry... And my concern is what comes after this. If Lauren Price decides to turn pro, who comes in at 75? If Caroline Dubois turns over at 60, do you then slot Hannah Robinson into that spot? And so, you know, when will Hannah turn pro? Um, Shona Whitwell, where do you put Shona in the GB scene? Because she has to be part of it. I, I don't understand why we haven't invested more in her. But overall, I do worry about the quality coming through after this because these guys have been in the system so long. We haven't built the, the natural flow. We've got young Harris Akbar in the European under-22s who's doing good things. I think he got knocked out in the semis or the final. Uh, young Ramtin Musa, same situation. Uh, JP O'Meara boxes at Dale Youth. So he's, he's definitely doing his thing. Um, I remember him boxing one of our guys, Charlie Harrison. And so... I mean, the kid's talented if he can hang with someone like Charlie. And so we've got a few coming through, but it's not like it used to be. And we need to find a way of 
beefing up that funnel so we've got a solid pipeline of talent coming through without the pros just nicking them before they're ready. But no, so we'll all get behind our boys and girls and we'll get the medals, hopefully, that mean that we get our funding secured going forward. The worst thing that can happen to GB Boxing is we come back with no medals. That will be a problem. But I'm going to sign off now and go and rest now. I was falling asleep earlier. But I want to say, look, everyone have a great time, as always. If you can't catch me in here, you can always catch me on Porky. Him and I just throw shit back and forth at each other. Like, the way his channel's maturing and growing, I am really, really proud of him as a friend and as someone involved in boxing. I think what he's doing is necessary in the sport. I think it's risky. And it's a long, hard road that he walks because, you know, boxing's a sport that lends itself to trolls. Don't understand why, but we just accept it's part of doing business. So for me, I say good luck to him. Get behind him. Um, it's maturing nicely where I think he's found his voice and he's found his lane. And so long may that continue. So I'm going to sign off at that point and say take care. Bye. Chuckles on the other side. That's how easy that was. <laughs> and he better than us? Are you serious? No. James Tony?